This is Culture and Conversations. I'm your host, Jamison Smallwood, and I'm about to make you part of the conversation. Thank you for downloading, listening, and supporting Culture and Conversations. Whenever, however, and wherever you're listening at, know that it means a lot to me. I appreciate it so much. I have a great episode planned for you with my friend, Brandy Thomas stopping by to be part of the conversation as Brandy shares her experiences helping women who are displaced and homeless in the North Georgia area through the organization that she works for and is a part of known as My Sister's Place. Brandy helps us understand homelessness and what happens to produce these homeless women with their children and Brandy shares her experiences up next on Culture and Conversations. This is Culture and Conversations. Thank you for being a part of the conversation. I'm your host, Jamison Smallwood. And this topic that we're discussing and that we're going to explore a little bit, this topic about homelessness, is a topic that I came up with initially when I was brainstorming for Culture and Conversations. And I want to help bring us into the world of someone who's homeless, in particular, women and children who are homeless. And I had an opportunity to put this show together because I know someone who works for a women's homeless shelter in Gainesville, Georgia, Brandy Thomas, executive director of My Sister's Place. My Sister's Place focuses in on helping women and children who are displaced for various reasons reestablish themselves in their community by giving them a place to stay, by giving them training, by giving them food to eat while they prepare themselves to you know, relaunch into society and and to find sustainable housing for themselves so that they can go from being homeless to having a home. And, you know, these factors that Brandy has to tackle in her work are large, looming factors. And I found some factors that are listed by, you know, the Salvation Army website. These factors that contribute to homelessness include poverty, unemployment, lack of affordable housing, poor physical or mental health, drug and alcohol abuse, gambling, family and relationship breakdowns, domestic violence, physical and or sexual abuse. All of these factors conspire to produce homelessness. Um, if, we, if you find yourself in a community, if you find yourself in, in a society where these factors are rampant, then you're going to also see people who are homeless as a result. And thankfully, we have people like Brandy who do work with community organizations, nonprofit organizations, and other organizations that are geared to trying to help people who are, in fact, homeless. You know, um, I see this in my work I do in my church. We oftentimes get people asking for support, asking for help, people who are facing eviction, people who don't have family in the area, people who came into town with someone and were you know they were planning on building a life together and then all of a sudden that person who they came with decides that they want to do something different and leave and strength leaves them stranded in town with no help these are all people who eventually find themselves unfortunately homeless and it's a sad situation when you encounter someone who's truly homeless because it seems like such a simple problem but for them, they're just out of options. They don't have the family support. They don't have the money they need. They don't have the foundation that most people typically have that gives them some buttress against these factors such as poverty and unemployment. And what do you do? 
How do you help them? How do you provide them with what they need? Well, we're going to find out from Brandy Thomas up next on Culture and Conversations. I'm with Brandy Thomas, director of My Sister's Place, a nonprofit women's shelter located in Gainesville, Georgia. Brandy, how are you doing? I'm great, Jameson. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Brandy and I know each other from Georgia Southern, and Brandy is um, always talking about My Sister's Place, and she was on Facebook one day talking about My Sister's Place, and I saw that it was a women's shelter, and I had an opportunity to get involved philanthropically with some of my charitable giving. So I decided to reach out to Brandy and ask how could I be a part of what she was doing, and she sent me over to My Sister's Place, their website, and I took a look at it, and I said, oh, great, I want to be a part of this. So I said, what better story to tell than to allow Brandy to come on to Culture and Conversations and share some of the work that she's been doing helping women in the Gainesville, Georgia area. So, Brandy, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, how did you become involved with My Sister's Place? It is a very sort of random and roundabout story, but maybe it's not random. Maybe it's just fate. But um, so by trade, I am a reporter. I'm a journalist. And so I had moved up to um, Gainesville, the Gainesville area in 2008. And one of my first assignments was to do a story about my sister's place. And all they told me about my sister's place was that it was a shelter for homeless women and children. Okay. And in my mind, I had never met anyone who was homeless. Oh, wow. Um, and I had never been to a homeless shelter. And so I was just very nervous about the assignment. It's like, I didn't know what to expect. And the unknown is always very scary. But, you know, it was my job to tell a story. And that's what I was going to do. So I get to the shelter and I pulled up and it was just a house. And I thought, well, maybe I'm not at the right place because a shelter probably should be huge and scary and just industrial looking. And this can't be it. Sure. But it was the right place. So I got inside and I interviewed some of the volunteers there and I got to meet some of the ladies and I just left. And I thought, you know, what they're doing here is awesome. And I would like to help however I could. So I mentioned that to one of the volunteers, well, two of the volunteers. One of them was the executive director at the time. And so they invited me to attend. Thought, okay, sure. Why not? I'm new in town. Let's help me learn about the community and get more involved. So I was all for it. So I got to my first board meeting and they, you know, did some of their business. And then they told me to introduce myself, tell everyone a little bit about, you know, what I do and who I am. So I did that. Hey, Brandon. And then they asked me, uh huh. You broke up there um, uh, when you started talking about. Uh, you went up there to interview them. So if you don't mind, pick it up from right there, your story. Okay, so I pulled up to the shelter, and it was just a house. It wasn't the industrial building or sketchy-looking place that I was expecting. So I got inside, and I interviewed um, some of the volunteers and the resident director at the time, and I got to meet some of the ladies. And I just was overwhelmed by the love that I felt in the building and just how it made me realize that the ladies who were a part of the program at that time, you know, it could have been anyone. It could have been a friend. It could have been an aunt. It could have been anyone that I knew. 
And so I wanted to get involved and to do what I could to help my sister's place out. So I mentioned that to two of the volunteers and they invited me to attend a board meeting. So I did that thinking, you know, it'd be an opportunity to get to know more people in the community since I was new to the area. So I got to the meeting and they told me to introduce myself and tell um, everyone who was on the board at the time a little bit a little bit more about what I do and who I am. So I did that. And then they asked me to step outside. And I thought, well, this is weird, but maybe they just need to discuss, you know, confidential things that I can't hear since I'm not on the board. So I stepped outside. Sounds like a job interview. Apparently it was. So I step (laughs) outside and I come back in and they said, congratulations. Welcome to the My Sister's Place Board of Directors. Oh, wow. I'm like, (laughs) what is this? And so, but I was excited because it was a new challenge and I love challenges. And so I joined the board um, in 2008, and then I started helping out with their communications and organizing fundraisers. I started working with the resident director to help her um, with some of her reports and just some of the administrative things that she didn't really um, understand how to do. She didn't have a big background using computers. And then in 2012, she decided that she was ready to retire and she was the only staff member. Oh, wow. And so it's like, okay, she carries this program. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? And so at that time, I started feeling, I had been feeling like there was a shift. I needed to shift what I was doing. Like, I just felt like my time as a reporter was, you know, mm-hmm. sort of coming to a close. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had been the one who was working most closely with her. So I was more in tune with the daily operations. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the executive director and I said, you know what? I know that I would need to work with whoever the new person is, new staff member is to train them, but I can't train them and also work full time. But I would be willing to step into the role of a managing director for my sister's place. Okay. And so she took that back to the board and they decided that that was a good fit. And so 2012, I left newspapers and I became the full-time managing director. And then in 2014, I became the official executive director. Oh, so nice. Here I am. Nice. Nice. So, you know, you obviously had a chance to get to know my sister's place from your work as a journalist what was it about my sister's plays that tugged at your heart to motivate you to want to be a part of their mission and help women in Gainesville? I think it was twofold because like I said, I had never, or so I thought I had never met anyone who was homeless Mm -hmm. and I had never been to a homeless shelter. So when I went to visit that first time, it just shattered these preconceived notions that I had about what homelessness was and how people became homeless. Um, Sure. There are some people where drugs and alcohol have been an issue for them, but for the majority of the women that I work with, and they come from all over Georgia and really all over the Southeast, um, the thing that has been the turning point for them is that they, an emergency came up, whether that was losing a job or um, they had to 
make big repairs on a vehicle and they couldn't afford to continue paying their rent. Um, the significant other left or died and they were the primary breadwinner and they just did not have a support system. And so I have been very fortunate and blessed to grow up in a family where I always knew that if something went wrong, that I always had places that I could go to reset. I always had people that could help me. Um, and I realized in going to my sister's place that that wasn't the case for everybody. And so I just wanted to be a part of helping others build up the network or the support system that I have always been so blessed to have. Because really, homelessness can happen to anyone. Mm. You always think, not me, but it really could happen to anyone. If the you know economic downturn in 2008-2009 didn't teach people that, then I don't know really what would. Wow. Wow. And I think that's something you said there about the face of homelessness. Oftentimes it's portrayed in movies as people who are indigent, who live on, on under shelters. I'm mean, not shelters, but uh, under overpasses, under bridges, you know, and outside under in boxes and stuff. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I, you're absolutely right. There are people who have that experience. But one of the things that I was touched by is, is the same thing that you described when I got to know more about your mission, that these women aren't people that you would stereotypically see portrayed in these sensationalized, you know, instances on TV and in movies, but they were just regular people who came into circumstances where they just didn't have any options and they didn't have mm -hmm. any help. And they didn't have, like you said, that support system that you're so familiar with in your family and in your life. And they needed people to be generous and kind to them, to give them a, a place to stay so that they could kind of figure out how to get to the next, you know, the next phase of their life. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just very interesting because people, you know, everyone always has this idea in their head. This is what a homeless person looks like. Sure. Not realizing that the person, you know, ringing up their groceries could very well be going out and sleeping in their car. Or they may be fortunate enough to have a bed in a shelter to call home mm -hmm. for now. Um, or, you know, everyone has probably seen a car in a parking lot. And it's like, what are they doing with all this junk in their car? Oh, yeah. It looks like they're living out of it. Well, chances are they are. Yeah. I actually knew someone who I had an opportunity to meet in my, you know, life. And she told me that she was transitioning from her home upstate. Uh, and by upstate, I mean talking about, you know, New England, down to Atlanta. And when she got down here... She didn't have a place to stay, so she slept in her car. And she was coming out of a situation where it was an abusive family, you know, structure that she was in. So she wanted to, you know, start her life over, and she moved to Atlanta. And when she told me that, I just, I it just, it just floored me that she, that she, that she realized that her best option was to sleep in her car. You know, that that just amazed me. And she wasn't someone who you would have thought would have been homeless just looking at her, you know, and mm -hmm. um, she made it work. She had, she had people uh, that she had friend, your know, friend who, who had, she had befriended who would give her opportunity to come take showers at their house. And, you know, she had all these different little things in her life worked out that most people just take for granted. Like, okay, where am I going to, where am I going to brush my teeth at? Where am I going to take a shower at? And, and, and how am I going to change clothes and clean my clothes? She had, mm -hmm. she had to figure all that out without a home. And uh, one of the things that, that really shocked me was when she said that she had been sleeping in her car for so long 
that her legs had started to swell up because she because she couldn't uh, recline, you know, like mm-hmm. we normally do in a bed where the blood mm-hmm. flow circulates better and against you know and doesn't have to push against gravity so hard. So her legs began to swell, and uh, it was a real concern for her. And then she realized the reason her legs were swelling because she hadn't been laying in a bed sleeping, you right. know. And right. it, and you know these are these this that story was so uh, relatable in the sense of it didn't seem sensational. It just was, you could see the systematic challenges that she faced in her life that led her to that moment where she was without a home. And, right. uh, and maybe that's what, maybe that's why in part I have a, I have an empathy towards the work you do at my sister's place because I, I had that story, you know, be told to me by someone. And I realized that, you know, oftentimes people just don't have any, they just don't have options, you know, and they need help. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for me, my church, I wish we had the resources, obviously, uh, to, to, to work in this area of ministry, uh, to you know, minister to women and help women in need and help you know, families in need. But we don't. So, you know, for me to get some involvement through your involvement as my friend and as the executive director of my sister's place, that gives me the ability to scratch that philanthropic itch. And to feel like I am helping make a difference in the lives of, of women. You are. And it's awesome that you even have that itch. And we definitely appreciate your support. We de- It takes many people in many roles to make my sister's place and other shelters for homeless women, men, children work. Because it's more than just, you know, at least for us, it's more than just giving someone a bed to sleep in. For us, we want to always try to approach it holistically. Okay. And so we want to find out more, like what is it that is preventing you from being able to be stable? Mm-hmm. Let list those things and let's tackle them one by one so that when you do leave our home, our program, you are in a better place. So we do work with them on goal setting and financial literacy and work experience, job searching. Um, We even have life skills classes where we um, have had self-defense, nutrition, wellness. Um, We just really, we've had counselors come in and do individual and group sessions because sometimes some of the situations that the ladies have found themselves in are repeats and they haven't quite learned the lesson. So sometimes it takes sitting down and having a conversation about certain things to realize, okay, this, I keep doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And this is how I can sort of break that cycle. Or um, we've had individuals come in and work with them on communication skills, conflict resolution, because that's not something that everyone is exposed to. So people don't know healthy ways to disagree. They don't know um, positive ways to um assert themselves at work when they're faced with a conflict that doesn't involve them um, cursing everybody out and leaving. Mm. So just we just try to be well-rounded. But to be successful and to really be a help to people, you really have to do more than just give them a bed and a meal. I think that goes back to the old proverb, if you give a woman a fish, she'll eat for a day. But if you teach a woman to fish, then she'll eat you know, for the rest of her life. And you guys don't just you know meet the the temporary need of shelter and food, but you try to help them develop life skills that will help them transition out of the shelter 
and into their own more stable life because they know how to make better decisions. They know how to tackle certain problems that have presented them with issues in the past. And I think that's a great, obviously a great way of trying to structure your program because you, unless, unless they're able to make those inward changes, then you can change the outs, you know, the outside conditions all you want, but then they'll eventually gravitate back to circumstances that reflect their inability to make those inward changes. Right. Right. And not to say that everyone who walks through our doors is all, yeah, let's do this for sure. Not everyone buys into the program and that's okay. Okay. Um, and even the ones who do work their way through and they do graduate, not everyone loves every single moment of it. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it is tough. Um, sometimes you do have to do things and think about things that you don't necessarily want to, but ultimately at the end of the day is to be helpful. Um, and so I have, you know, I've been cursed out and called out of my name and just, you know, threatened and Mm -hmm. all sorts of things. But some of the ones who have fought the hardest are the ones who come back and say, you know what? I didn't like you then. I didn't like doing what you said I needed to do, but now I see why I had to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that is rewarding. And so, you know, I'll be cursed out for that. It's okay. <laughs> well, let, let's hope you don't get cursed out uh, anymore for the, for those types of uh, efforts you're making. So <laughs> now one of the things I want to do is help paint a picture of the scale of your operation. You know, how many women do you typically, you know, help or have in your shelter if you guys are at full capacity? Okay. Um, we have 13 twin size beds spread throughout five bedrooms. Okay. So we would never have more than 13 adults at a time, but then we have space to bring in cribs and toddler beds so we can go up to about 16 residents at a time. That includes a mixture of women and children. Okay. So typically we are right around 14, 15 residents at a time. Okay. And how many staff do you guys have at my sister's place? Um, We have two uh, regular um, full-time staff members, myself, and then there's an assistant shelter manager. We Mm -hmm. handle typically day-to-day operations. And then we have three ladies who are our overnight shelter support. So they're there. Um, They make sure dinners on the table. Um, We do a family dinner. So for everyone who's not at work, um, they're there at 530 for dinner. So the overnight shelter support helps to um, get everything on the table. Um, If we have volunteers or groups coming in to do things like a Bible study or a life skills class, they help to facilitate that. And then they're just a presence just in case ladies have questions or, you know, we continue to get calls for assistance or whatever the case may be. And what is your operating budget in general for my sister's place? The budget for the shelter itself is about $150,000. Okay. Um, That has grown significantly since I started way back when, Um, but it still obviously could be bigger. Sure. I have few dreams for my sister's place, but right now we're, we're at about 150,000. So what are some of those dreams that you have for my sister's place? Well, it's just so last year we opened a thrift store, which is a dream that I and members of our advisory board have had for several years um, because I knew that there was an opportunity for us to turn some of the overflow 
of donations that we have been blessed with by way of clothing and household items into something even more productive for our program. And so um, we opened that store up and it's doing pretty well. It, we're able to provide work experience opportunities for our ladies and other low and no income women in the community. And then obviously we also allow them to go in and shop for free for the things that they need. And then the money from the store is poured back into the shelter um, to help us offer more, more programs. Um, and then another vision that I want to see happen, I know it will happen, I believe in it, it's gonna happen, um, is transitional housing. There's just an overwhelming need for a step between going from homelessness to complete independence mm-hmm. because there's still more time that they need to build up a savings and to be able to just be on really firm footing. Um, and so I would love to see us open open transitional apartments um, and actual affordable housing for not just graduates of our program, but for the community at large. Um, Gainesville is very blessed in that we have lots of people who like to support nonprofits, um, but there's a booming economy in Gainesville. It's not hard to find a job, but the jobs that are available don't necessarily allow people to easily afford rent. The rent is far exceeding most salaries. Oh, wow. Um, And so most of the jobs in the area tend to pay anywhere from $8 to about um, $10. $10 is really a stretch, though. Um, $10. Those are the most jobs that you're going to find. And the rent for a one-bedroom can be like $900. Oh, wow. Most of our ladies cannot afford that. Um, and so I just I, I just see this like apartment complex that's truly affordable housing and I know we can do it. And so that is a very, very long term goal, but I want to work towards that. And I know in dealing with um, nonprofits, people don't like to talk about money so much. It's a dirty word, but I feel like if we are fighting for the community at large to provide living wages, real living wages for people, we have to do the same thing. And so I want us to be in a place where we are competitive with the for-profit sector. And so that is a challenge that I also want to take on and a vision that I have that I know will come to be. It just takes patience and fundraising, but we're going to get there. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I wanted to paint a picture of the size of my sister's place because one of the things that I often hear as an excuse not to support charities and nonprofits is that people often cite the inefficiencies of very large uh, charities and nonprofits who, whom, whose name we won't mention. But one of the things I wanted uh, people to encourage people to do is that it, when you think about charity, you should find local charities that are small and well-run organizations that you can see where the work is being done and you can see where the money is being deployed. And that's why I support my sister's place is because I'm not giving money to some charity over in some foreign country or some huge multinational charity that I have no clue as to who is running the charity, that I don't know people in the charity. 
I'm actually giving money to help support someone who I, I know personally, someone whose phone number I have, someone who I can pick up the phone or reach out on Facebook and talk to about what they're doing in their in their charitable work and for the organization. And this gives you the ability to feel better about where you deploy your funds. One of the problems that I, you know, I oftentimes, you know, will get after people about is that you can always find a reason not to give, but we need to live in a world where people find more reasons to give. And, you know, when I heard it, when I heard about my sister's plays, I heard about the size and scale of what you're trying to do, um, where you're currently at, the fact that you have a few staff members, the fact you have a few beds. I said that if there's a place for my money to go and be used, I know that you guys are going to get the most out of it. So I want to always encourage the listeners of the Culture and Conversations podcast to not just hear these things as I bring these stories to them, but to think about in their own way, in their own um, heart, you know, partnering and supporting some of the, these these things that they're hearing because these are um, people who need people to be generous in order to accomplish their, their goals, to help them get back on their feet, and to help you guys, obviously, over at My Sister's Place, reach that community. So if, you hear, if you're hearing this on the, My, on the Culture and Conversations podcast, and you are looking for a place to be charitable, then I'm definitely going to encourage you shamelessly to support my sister's place as they are doing great work in the Gainesville, Georgia area. We appreciate that plug, Jameson. I think sometimes for people, especially people our age, they think that, you know, giving back is something that you do when you're older and settled. Um, um, you get involved, you volunteer, you know, when you're retired. But that's not the case. Volunteering and philanthropy, they're big words and they can seem scary, but you can plug in almost anywhere um, in your community. And it doesn't just have to be funds. If you do research on an organization and you want to give, get involved, but you think, mm, I don't know about this. You know, sometimes when they're smaller, uh, smaller organizations, sometimes people are very critical of how it's run. Well, if you think you can do things better, you think you can improve it, get involved. You know, volunteer with them. Ask them what they need other than money. Um, It doesn't take a huge time commitment. You just need to have a heart for helping. Um, Even monetary donations, you know, the $5,000, $1,000, $500 checks are awesome. We love them. But, you know, $5 can make a difference. $5, $10 is huge for our ladies. Um, Most of our residents don't have their own vehicle. Um, For $10, they can get daily bus passes for a week to get to work, um, to go out and look for work, to get to doctor's appointments. That $10 is actually life-changing. But you think $10, mm, that's an extra value meal that's supersized, and that's not going to do much of anything, but it can. Like, you can make a real difference. I'm sure everyone has clothing in their closet that they're, oh, those are my gold jeans. I'm going to wear those in two more summers. I just need to lose a few more pounds. (laughs) Well, you know, let's be realistic. You're probably not going to lose those 10 pounds. Let's donate those to someplace that can use them. So there's always something that everyone can do. That's, always. That's true. And I want to I, I, I encourage people to partner uh, with My Sister's Place because I partner with them and I give my money 
um, a portion of my charitable giving every year to my sister's place. And I've actually pulled up your donation page. And I just want to read through some of these um, opportunities that you guys have listed to be a difference maker in the lives of women in the area who need help and who need the opportunity to get back on their feet. Uh, for $30, you can help three women get to work for one week. So a $30 donation uh, can be deployed to help three women get to work for one week. $60 can provide a full day of nutritious meals for um, the families that are in the shelter. Um, for $105, um, you can sponsor one homeless resident for a week. So just for $105, that will take care of housing a resident in my sister's place for one week. For $210, uh, that will help keep the doors of, my, of the shelter in my sister's place open for one day. So the total expenses that are for the shelter for one day is only $210, which is, which is nominal uh, for, for, the, for, for a shelter. And if you're so inclined... Uh, for $1,440, you'll give a homeless family a fresh start for one month. So these are the things, these are the opportunities that you guys have listed in simple denominations where people can support and give and be charitable. And uh, I think we're going to give you guys an exclusive on the Culture and Conversations podcast. I plan on partnering this year again with my sister's place, and I am going to set my charitable giving. Are you ready, Brandy, to hear this? I'm going I'm to ready. set my charitable giving to try and support my sister's place by giving a family a fresh start for one month. So that's the, that's the donation amount of $1,440. So you heard it here first on the Culture and Conversations podcast. I'm going to match that donation and give that. So we want you guys to be a part of that, um, the listeners, and we just want to continue to encourage these types of stories. Um, you know, Brandy is one of the amazing women who I'm, I'm blessed to know, who um, I count as a friend. And, you know, she's doing this great work in the community. So we want to make sure that we put our collective muscle behind it. So let me just tell you this. If you give a donation to my sister's place and you tell me that you gave a donation and we can verify with Brandy, I will send you a culture and conversations mug free of charge for thanking you as a complimentary gift for giving this donation to my sister's place. So I'm going to give you a mug. But we just got to find a way of connecting your donation, uh, you know, so that we can track it back and know that you gave. And if you do that, I'm going to send you one of the limited edition Culture and Conversations mug. I think we're going to do that for the first five donations, Brandy. I think that's what we're going to do is give out mugs for the first five donations. So we want to really connect people with that. And uh, Brandy, I just want to thank you for taking time to come on the podcast and, and tell this great story about the work you're doing in Gainesville with uh, with my sister's place. I appreciate you for having me because although we're located in Gainesville, we are serving women from all over Georgia. Honestly, I was looking at the numbers from last year and 40% of our residents were from Hall County, but 44% of our ladies came from Metro metro atlanta there just are not enough resources for women and especially women with children you know you'll find lots of men's shelters but women get a little complicated and it scares people away and so there aren't as many programs so i do appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share a little information um, about my sister's place because you never know who we're able to reach no that's great thank you for being part of the conversation I'm going to clarify the rules just so we make sure people are not forgetful about this. Uh, you have options of giving on the donation website. 
So if you choose to pick one of those donation amounts, the uh, smallest one being $30 and the largest one being $1,440, that's the one I'm committing to this year, uh, you will be given a Culture and Conversations mug as a thank you gift for your donation to my sister's place. Um, what you need to do is reach out to me and just tell me your name and address. When you make the donation, I'll make sure that I connect with uh, Brandy to make sure that you actually did make the donation and that you met the minimum amount of $30 for your donation. And I will send you personally a mug. And we're going to do that for the first five donations. So let's make a difference and uh, definitely reach out and touch the lives of someone in this area who needs help as they try to get themselves back on their feet. Absolutely. And they can find us. Um, we do have a website. It's www.my-sisters-place.org. And we're also on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash capital MSP Gainesville. Perfect. And we will definitely link to this in the show notes. So if you go and listen to this episode via the website, you will see a link to mysistersplace.org and the donation page. And we want to definitely get people to support this. So, Brandy, thank you for being a part of the conversation. Thanks for having me. I'd like to thank Brandy Thomas of My Sister's Place for being a part of Culture and Conversations. If you want to support Culture and Conversations, feel free to continue to do what you've been doing by sharing content that we put up on Facebook and Instagram. You can reach out to us on Facebook, Culture and Conversations is the Facebook page. And if you would like to reach out to us on Instagram, Culture and Conversations is the Instagram page. And if you want to send an email, an old-fashioned way of sending messages, cultureandconversations at gmail.com. Thank you guys for what you continue to do. Remember, we're looking for reviews inside of iTunes. If you write a review and you let me know that you wrote the review, I will send you a free limited edition culture and conversations mug. Thank you guys once again for being a part of the conversation and we are out.